And I kind of, you know, worked on it and, and kind of wrote some stuff down and had finalized it just before last Sunday. And uh, I'm like, I'm not sure how this is going to all work out. And then Pastor Humphrey on Wednesday had talked about um, how could a church be started in the city of Corinth. As wicked as they were, as vile as they were, you know, I mean, even as he said, you know, the term Corinthian was almost more worldly than the world was at that time, right? And so how in the world could a church be started then? And, you know, he said that it, you know, it took dedicated laymen, it took dedicated missionary, help of supporting churches, and most of all, the hand of God. To make all that work, you know, like a, a, a machine, you know, the cogs work together, you know, an engine, the way that the crank turns, it turns the camshaft and all these other things. If, if those gears don't line up right, there's a problem. The engine doesn't run right. If the timing's off, what happens? It coughs, it spits, or it doesn't even run. So... As we look at this today, um, it's, it's, like I said, it was a challenge that God brought to my own heart. You know, hopefully it's a blessing to you. Um, and as I look at it, it's one of those things that, you know, God could do the work himself. He doesn't need us, but he chooses to use us. And is small and is minuscule as we may think that we are, God still wants to take us, use us where we're at to affect the lives of others. A picture of this <coughs> that we could use would be. When Jesus fed the 5,000. I mean, God spoke the world into existence, right? He said, let there be light. He made it all happen, and he took the time to form man. So when he asked his disciples, what are we going to do to feed all these people? He already had a plan. I mean, he knew what was going to happen, but the opportunity... For this little boy to walk up, say, God, I don't, I got five loaves and two fish. I mean, that's pretty minuscule, right? Five, I mean, five loaves and two fish wouldn't even feed us. I mean, maybe if it was two king salmon, okay. But five loaves and two fish, and it's 5,000 plus. I don't know what you want to do, but you, it's yours. What was, it was just a willing heart, right? That's all it was. I don't have much, God, but you can have it. So as we look at it today, God desires to use us as a mouthpiece. Now, 1 Peter was written 
just before the persecution of the Christians really got bad. It was a warning, right? It's going gonna, it's gonna to come. And, and what are you going to do about it? So 1 Peter 3.15 says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. So in knowing that, like, you know, things were going to get real, things were going to get bad, when you read around and you read the context of it all, it, it gives us an idea that the reason of the hope that lies within me is, is more about why I continue to press on, why I continue to do what I do. And today's um, lesson, if you will, I'm going to cover two things, one of which Pastor Humphrey covered in the first message, but we'll go through it anyways. Who is responsible? Who is everyone that he's talking about in this passage? And the second part of it is going to be, what are we responsible to do? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Precious Father, Lord, as we come to you, God, we, um, we are thankful that you care for us and that you are the shield, the buckler, our mighty high tower, our refuge of strength. Lord, all of the descriptors, descriptors we could come up with wouldn't even begin to describe who you are and your care and your concern for us. As we open your word this afternoon, Lord, I pray that you would help me, God, that you would just take me aside, that you would um, allow those here today to hear um, the truth that comes from your word, and Father, that you would do only what you can do through your word. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. So, the first point, who is responsible? Who is responsible to respond to this passage? And so as we go to Matthew 28, verses 18 and 20, um, as we covered earlier today, but it's familiar to us just because as a church we recognize that it is something directly that God gave us as a command to do. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power, so authority, is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. So, as Christ is giving this command to the church, it wasn't as Pastor again. He was all over me this morning, but it, you know I'm gonna I'm gonna go with this. 
It wasn't that Christ was saying, go. Just like I say, Clayton, can you come here for a second? Clayton, can you come here for a second, please? Object lesson, I'm sorry. All right. So the idea, right, is that it wasn't, go, run fast. It was like, while you're going, make this happen. So while you're going, I'm on my way. Hey, Jordan, did you know that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins? Did you know? Did you know? Daniel, God loves you. In, in my walk, in my day, as I'm doing stuff, I'm telling people. So that's what, that's what God was getting at when he said this. It wasn't, go do it. It's while you go, in your daily life, while you're doing things. Teach people, tell people, show people. And why is that? It was, that, was, that was what was expected. Time and time again, when we're in the prison, Seth will come out and he'll, he'll like pick one guy out. After, you know, after we're done preaching and after we're just kind of talking and getting to know these people, he'll single one guy out. And you know what he does? He hands them the story of his life. He hands them his testimony. This is what God has done for me. He's excited about it. And why is that? Because I was a wretch. I was dying. I was going to hell. But you know what? God did something in my life. God changed me. Why wouldn't I want to tell someone about it? And that's, that's the expectation here. So in going, in your daily life, teach people, tell people, preach to people the truth. You know, in Isaiah chapter 6, Verses 8 and 9 is the account of a vision that Isaiah had with God. He says, Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. And he said, Go and tell this people, Hear ye indeed, but understand not, and see ye indeed, but not perce and perceive not. So, yes, Isaiah was a prophet. Isaiah was a man that was called out by God to be a preacher of the truth. But you know, in the end, if the church... If the local body, 
that God has put together is commanded to do something, then we as a body need to be looking for what is it that the Lord would have me to do? You know, the last, is it two years now that we've been doing the mail-outs? Thereabouts. I think it's actually been close to two and a half, but we've been sending out these flyers, or not flyers, but John and Romans, the gospel. We've been sending tracts and things out to villages. Prayerfully, there's been an anticipation and expectation that something would happen with it. That we as a body could go. But we can't expect Pastor Humphrey and Pastor Demlo to be the ones that go because their responsibilities here, right? Now we can send one and one can cover here, but the idea is that somebody has to go. If we go back to again what we had talked about on Wednesday. There has to, has to be a person. There has to be a preacher. There has to be support. There has to be God. So we're praying that God will work in it. And prayerfully as a church, we're saying, Lord, send who you want. And may their heart be ready to say, here am I, send me. But that command, that commission is given to the whole body. Turn, if you will, over to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, verses 8 through 15. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, that thou shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. There is hope. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. So again, back to, And while I'm going, if I'm truly saved, I should not be ashamed of the gospel of Christ, right? That is what saved me. That is what changed my life. And if you can't put down on paper or be able to verbalize that what God has done in your life, this is what I was, this is what I am now, there's been a change in me, I used to have a heart of bitterness and strife, and now I have a heart that's love and care and concern for the lost. If there's not a night and day difference in our life, then yeah, I can see where the confusion is. Uh, I don't know. I, I, you know, 
I mean, I know in my head that this is what the Bible says I'm supposed to do. I understand that, you know, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith. But, but that changed in me. How, how do I know? I, you know, okay, I wasn't drunk. That gave up the bottle. I wasn't a man that was beating his wife all the time, and now I don't. God makes a change in every man's life, period. And that's what he's calling us to do as a church. Go and tell. For the scripture says, we read that verse, verse 12. For there's no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord is over all, is rich unto all that call upon him. Verse 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And verse 14 and 15 is where I wanted to spend a little time in focus. It says, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? So in going, we're supposed to tell. In going, we're supposed to proclaim, every one of us, that is a child of God. And how shall they hear without a preacher? Now that word preacher right there, it doesn't mean pastor. It doesn't mean shepherd. It means a heralder of the truth. It means that if I know something to be true, I'm supposed to let people know. I would assume that we would all say that if the bridge was out and someone is racing down the road towards the bridge, we would all stand there, stop. We'd try to, right, you know, don't go. It's the truth. The bridge is out. You're going to fall into the canyon. It's the same idea here. We have the truth of the gospel. We have the word of salvation. We have hope in Jesus Christ. And so we, as a body, you and I, all bear that responsibility of proclaiming the truth. Why? Because how shall they believe in whom they have not heard? And it says, And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Glad tidings of good things. So the truth is, all roads don't lead to Rome, right? Is, is, is the world would like to believe, you know. Well, all, all, all religions in the end, they lead to God and, and go to heaven. But we know the truth. 
Matthew 7, 13, it says, Enter ye in at the straight gate, narrow. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to what? Destruction. So when we're born into this world, we're on the wide path. We're on, we're on the road with everybody else that's leading to destruction. That's the easy way. I get to do whatever I want. I get to live my life. Yeah, you get to live your life until your life is over, and then, then what do you have? You have the pit of hell. Destruction. So if we see the world on this broad path, and we know the truth that the narrow way, that the way of Jesus Christ is what's going to lead to heaven, lead to righteousness, lead to life eternal, then that's what it is. That's who it is that bears that responsibility as us. Because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but my being. Who bears the responsibility? I do. You do. You know, um, Brother Gurr's account, his testimony of his life, he, he talks about how a man from this church, not a pastor, drove down to Boundary, drove up, I think he says it's like four miles or whatever, up a creek bed. So jumping creek up and... To get to a mining camp. Now, what led that guy to the mining camp that he was at? I don't know. I'm sure there's a whole other understory that goes along with it. But in the end, it really doesn't matter. Because it was that one man that was obedient to God that told Brother Gerth of the gospel. That told a man that ended up being called to preach... Of the truth. That if you don't repent of your sins, you're going to die and go to hell. And his brother Gerth always recounts in this little minor shack, smaller than this podium, he yielded to the Lord. Well, what if that one man had not been obedient? I can't tell you how many thousands of men that Brother Gerth has given the truth of the gospel to. Between Pioneer Home, the prison, his daily walk, people that he encounters, the youth that has been through this church and the classes he's taught, the men that he's been a part of training. What if that one man wouldn't have yielded? He wasn't a preacher, but he was willing to share what God did in his life. You know, in my life, I was, I grew up in church from the age of two, you know, and then after I turned 18 and then thought I knew better and went and chased some worldly dreams and 
wasn't living for God because I wasn't saved. Um, but in church, I was always raised by things that were taught, but more by action of everybody in the church. That you know whose responsibility it is to do all that? All of that work that we've been talking about, whose responsibility is it? That guy's right there. Pastor Demlo, Pastor Humphrey. It's their responsibility, not mine. But that's not true. It's not true. We are, as a church, called to teach and tell others as we go in our daily life. So the hard part, internalizing, making a difference about it. What am I going to do? How am I going to choose? Is a, is a verse of exhortation, James 1.22. But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. What am I going to do about it? You know, it's, it's really... Um, it's easy to sit there and look across the pew. Not really, because we don't want to make eye contact. Oh, yeah, that guy really should be doing more. That guy should really be a part. He, he needs to get his heart right, and he gets, needs to get more active. Been there, done that. And I'm here to say I'm sorry. Sorry. God doesn't call me to pull out the magnifying glass and look at everybody else. According to James, he calls me to pull out the mirror and look at it and see that I'm not worthy. And when I'm spending time in God's word and when I'm spending time here my head's down. It's not looking across the aisle. It's not pitchforking it over my shoulder. It's saying, God, what would you have me to do? We can't just sit on the sidelines. Someone has to go to tell them. That he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not on the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides upon them. It's not that I know all the things to know about the Bible. It's not to know that I've... I don't even want to say that I've arrived because it's not, that's not the point I'm trying to make. It's coming to the point where I realize that God's word is more important than the things of life. And I need to be obedient and do something about it. So as we get to 1 Peter 3.15 now, 
And we talk about what is it that I'm responsible to do. 1 Peter 3.15 But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Now there's four parts that I want to look at in this. The first one is, but sanctify the Lord in your hearts. And this word sanctify, you know, there's a couple of different meanings that go with this, but as it is meant in this verse right now, it is the sense of hallowing God or making God holy in your sight. And this goes back to some of the, what we've already kind of talked about in the fact that when I have the proper view of God and His holiness and His righteousness and my unworthiness, it's going to change how I talk to people. It's going to affect how my life is. And it's going to affect the ability for me to go forward because I'm not going to be looking at what everybody else is doing. There's a phrase that um, I heard growing up, and I haven't really heard it much since then, but it says, you know your walk talks and your talk talks. It's almost like a riddle. But your walk talks louder than your talk talks. So really think about that. I mean, the, the gist of it is my daily life, how I live, how I talk, everything I do, whether I'm telling people about God as I'm going through my life or not, right? That is one view. And then if I'm sitting here on this other side and... Every now and then I get on a hobby horse. Oh, the sin of the world is bad. Things are, you need to accept Christ. But they only see it once in a while. And then the rest of my life, I'm kind of rubbing shoulders and joking with them. You know, going along with whatever jokes that they throw out. You know, this world is crude. I have some things that I'll, patience, you know, I'll tell, I'll tell a funny joke, a dad joke, right? And they're like, oh, I got one, I got one, and they tell something, and it's like, wow, that was filthy. You know, and, and it's crude. And they expect you to laugh at it, and it's just kind of like, huh, yeah, no, we're not going to go there. But if we accept that, we let it go, and we, oh yeah, sure, you know, half chuckle. That's like half lies, right? What's a half lie? A whole lie. A lie is a lie is a lie. If my walk of life and my talk of life are not together, 
they're going to be able to look at us and say, yeah, you're blowing smoke. They're going to be able to look at us and say, you don't know what you're talking about. Why? Because they can see right through us. They probably see through us better than each other. Why? Because they're looking for the hypocrisy. How many times is that used as an excuse? I'm not going to church because they're full of hypocrites. I'm not going to church because... And what are they looking at when they're saying that? Unfortunately, me, you, others that claim to be a Christian... So what it is, you know, we've, again, we've already alluded to it, but what is it that we're supposed to be doing? We're supposed to be ready to give an answer to every man. And this word, or this phrase, to give an answer, is actually from the Greek word apologia, which we get the word, English word apologetics. Something that I'm not good at. If you start to debate with me, you're going to watch my pupils dilate. You're going to watch my face turn red. If I had hair that was longer, actually, just if I had hair, it would stand up on ends. Because I can't. I just, I, I, I'm, I've never been good at debating with people. And then, you know, and then I know others that, you know, that's just the way life is. And you're good at it. Humphrey. Um, and I say that with a joke, but the truth of the matter is apologetics is the idea of I know what's true. This is what I believe. And I'm going to stand my ground. I know what I believe. I know what is true. And I'm going to stand my ground. So our responsibility, even as we alluded earlier, is to tell others of the Savior. We must be able to adequately and intelligently explain what Romans 3.23 is. Why is Isaiah 64, 6 so important? For all of our righteousnesses is filthy rags. Romans 3, 10, there's none righteous, no, not one. We, as children of God, again, should be able to say, this is what God has done in my life. This is how he's changed me. And this is how I've been made new. So it's a reason of hope that lies within me. I know that Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death. But I also know that the end of that says, But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And what does that mean? 
A child of God should be able to simply take Romans 6.23 and explain it out. They don't have to be some great speaker. They don't have to be some great orator. It's like the blind man, right? Jesus made him see. The Pharisees and the scribes, they're like, well, how did he do it? What did he say? I don't know how he did it. All I know is that he did it. I was blind, and now I see. The woman at the well, what did she say? Come and see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is this not the Christ? She was excited about it. She couldn't explain it all, but she could at least wise put the spiritual salt on people's tongues that would draw them to the truth. They didn't know the specifics of how their lives were changed. All they knew is that God had changed them. You know, and Pastor Humphrey went, went over John 3, 16 through 18 earlier today, too. Um, but John 3, 18 is, is primarily where I want to turn our focus. He says, he that believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already, because he believeth not on the only begotten Son of God. We know the truth. And we know how that truth affects a life. And so, as a child of God, our duty, our orders that we receive from Christ is to be able to tell others this is what He's done. Which brings us to our final point. With weakness, with meekness and fear. Meekness, because we know that it's not of our own doing. Titus 3.5 tells us, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy. But according to His mercy, He saved us by the washing and regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. We realize that He's the only one that can do that renewing. He's the only one that can do that cleansing. He's the only one capable of it all. You know, in, in 2 Peter 3.9, we have the, a, a command and the fact that we need to be, again, bearing that responsibility and sharing His mercy. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise. What is that promise? That He will come again. 
What is that promise? That all shall perish. As some men count slackness. You know, basically these, at this point in time, they're sitting there and they're like, yeah, you say he's coming back. You say that we're going to pay for our sin. We don't see anything that's proven that. You know, almost like, you know, the idea that when Elijah was on a Mount Carmel and he's like, well, maybe your God's asleep. Maybe you need to wake him up. You know, it's the idea here is that, that you know, they're kind of jeering and saying, yeah, I, I, you really don't know what you're talking about. Like some men called, like some men count slackness. That's the idea. Like, I really don't believe what you're saying. But, and this is talking about Christ here, is long-suffering to us were not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So with meekness, because I know that it's not me, it's not by any words that are going to come out of my mouth that's going to affect you. It's only by the preaching of the Word of God that a soul can be saved. It's only by the preaching of the Word of God can man truly be convicted. Because, you know, I can, I can make you feel guilty about stuff. I can nitpick your life and say, oh, well, you're doing this and you really shouldn't. Oh, you're not doing this and you really should. And, and try to manipulate you. I can do stuff like that. But is that true conviction? No. Is that going to bring forth godly repentance as it's talking about in Corinthians? No. It has to be through the Word of God and the work of the Holy Spirit in a life. We should be a love-bearing mouthpiece for God, bringing the truth in humility and in kindness. Yes, the Word of God cuts like a knife. And people don't want to be told they're wrong. The truth of the matter is, we bring forth the truth of God's Word, we let the truth of God's Word and go from there. You know, again, in this time of... Peter, they're starting to face persecution. They're starting to face problems, right? And is this terror is starting to bear down on them. What hope do they have? Well, again, if you read the verses, I think it's verse 9 down through verse 16, of this passage, part of what it's talking about is that you can kill me, you can slay me, all of these things can happen, but in the end, if I'm no longer on this earth and I'm a child of God, what's that mean? That I'm with Him. You can put pressure on me. You can hurt me. You can torture me. And it ain't going to be fun. But in the end, what hope do I have? The hope I have is Jesus Christ, Christ alone, and to have the 
call, if you will, that Paul put out, and that is, for me to live is Christ. To die is gain. And my prayer and my desire would be that my death would be his gain and not mine just because I went to heaven. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. For me to live and be obedient to his word is far better than doing what I want. At least why that should be the call of my heart. We must be ready to give an answer. We, as members of Plaque Row Baptist Church, as saved children of God, we are all responsible through meekness and fear, to be able to tell others why I have faith in God, why I trust in God, and why, regardless of what this world does to me, I refuse to falter. Our attitude needs to be, do the worst. You can to me. I'm standing with God on this. And worst case scenario, I'll be with Him in glory. So I ask today, where do you stand? First of all, are you even a child of God? Have you come to that point in your life where you recognize, I am a sinner. I need to be cleansed. I need to be made whole. Because if I don't, the wrath of God abides upon me. The next question I have is, are you waiting for someone else to bring the truth, the gospel, to your neighbor? to your friend, to your family member, co-worker. I dare say that I could probably go across the room right now to everybody that I know who has a testimony of being saved and right off the top of your head asking you to give me a name of someone that is not saved in your life. It wouldn't take long. Carefully, it shouldn't take long. Within a, within a second, you should be able to come up with a name. This is someone I know. And you know what that is? That's the Holy Spirit working in you. That's the Holy Spirit telling you, here you go. You're will, you're, you're will, you say you're willing to go. You say you're willing to tell somebody, here's that person in your, here's that person. Ready, set, go. I can tell you right now, my neighbor Mike is one. 
probably the, you know, sometimes it's the people that are the closest to you that it's hardest. You know, I mean, I have. I've talked with them a couple of times. And the conversation always seems to take a 180 degree turn at about 180 miles an hour. But he still needs to hear the truth again. And so each and every one of you, I lay lay at your feet. Will you be willing to say, here am I, Lord, send me. We're not looking for pastors to go to the village. All we're looking for is mouthpieces that are willing to share the truth of the gospel. And lastly, are you willing to be a beacon? Are you willing to be a light of truth in this dark and destitute world? Are you willing? You know, and, and really that's, that's what it comes down to. I know it is for me. I get a challenge and I'm like, oh yeah, that's really good. I'm, and then as soon as I break through that door, it's like, all it is is an emotional charge. That's all it is. There's an emotional exhortation. Yeah, you're right. I need to do that. And there's a spiritual exhortation which will give you the strength to carry it through. Let's pray.